Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new session of Beyond the TV, which is the Streaming Video Alliance's podcast uh, discussing changes in the industry and streaming technology and everything under the sun streaming with innovators and entrepreneurs and luminaries in the streaming space. And today we are returning, actually, to Michelle Munson uh, from Alluvio TV, who is a member of the SVA, and, and they've been doing some really amazing stuff. And what we wanted to do today was just kind of, you know, chat with Michelle and figure out kind of where they're at and, you know, what are we seeing in, in the sort of convergence of spaces between media and, and all of the Web3 stuff. So uh, welcome, Michelle. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me today. Very excited to be here. Fantastic. Fantastic. So let's let's start out a little bit with, you know, kind of a recap. Where is Alluvio today? What are you guys up to? Um, well, I think you uh, provided a fantastic introduction. Um, really, the the thought of a Web3 CDN has come of age, and uh, that's, I think, the overall shape of what's happening with us and around us. Um, just to recap for the listeners, the Alluvio content fabric is a first-of-a-kind uh, decentralized content storage and dynamic distribution network that is also a full-stack layer one blockchain. And uh, what that really means is that it's a content native blockchain. Um, and in this context, it, it aims to you know, bring the properties of decentralized and, and sort of direct and programmatic distribution to all types of media. Um, what has happened in the last uh, 12 to 18 months around Web3 is kind of explosive. And I, I think it, it has really brought to the forefront what we... Um, you know, have essentially uh, envisioned and had hoped would start to happen. Uh, a couple of things about that. I think, first of all, the NFT craze um, started to to bring to light the need to, to create more efficient and consumer-friendly experiences around NFTs, which then opened the possibility of thinking about content NFTs, uh, which then led to uh, the need to have you know, robust technology that inherently ties the the content to its um, to its token uh, and it's in, in the whole life cycle. And I, I can explain more about that. And now, finally, this has kind of pushed everybody into thinking about CDNs totally differently. That uh, that they might be Web three native platforms. And um, we've been lucky to be involved in some really fantastic projects. We might get a you know chance to talk about those today, but. Um, uh, I think that this is really the beginning of what what we feel like is a transformation in in how content is is essentially owned and, and distributed. Yeah, I mean it's it's really cool. I mean, there's definitely a lot of disruption happening. Um, I mean, we'll call it sort of at the fringes, right? The traditional way to deliver content. Um, you know, people are still sort of seeing that as. Um, as the primary means, you know, let's use a CDN, let's deliver it like we always have, out of the cash, just the normal way. But I think Alluvio, I think you guys are really pushing sort of a lot of stuff that's on the fridge, like blockchain and NFTs, into the media space, which is great. What kind of what kind of reception have you seen from yeah. you know, from folks like that? Yeah, I, I think it's been very organic, and it has followed the wave of consumers becoming um, not only comfortable with, but but also just fascinated with the, the possibility of, of owning, essentially starting with owning collectibles to now thinking about 
you know, creators on the other side pushing the boundary of what's possible in terms of owned owned media experiences. And to be very specific, um, as uh, NFTs became popular, um, because our platform couples together uh, content and its streaming or rendering distribution of all kinds with um, uh, all blockchain primitives, right, standard uh, blockchain, um, uh, both ownership, access control, and, and also minting, uh, we were, um, and because the platform also makes possible backing all kinds of uh, um, basically uh, decentralized apps that can be websites, marketplaces, and now a media wallet, um, it led us to become basically a back-end platform for media experiences that are natively Web3. And this started for us um, last year in October um, with an event that we did on our platform with Microsoft, which launched Windows 11. Of course, this was also precipitated by the pandemic because there was so much interest in, in streaming and, and virtual ways of reaching audiences. This was the first time we combined together the um, fabrics on-chain, real-time 4K streaming, um, uh, multi multi-view, et cetera, with embedded NFT offers, which are also uh, backed by content objects in the, the fabric that, and also minted on demand to a wallet application also backed by the fabric. And that experience sort of started to meld together what we have thought of as content distribution um, with uh, token ownership. Um, and that unfolded <laughs> to lead to more experiences on the, and it, it, I think it's kind of interesting to follow this along with the the, the, the storyline because it, it shows sort of the natural evolution of what's happening. Um, we were then brought into some um, NFT game experiences built around mainstream uh, media properties, starting with the Masked Singer. Um, that um, experience was also backed by the fabric for not only the website and the, the weekly streaming um, voting experience, but also the game itself, where um, the assets that um, were available to purchase uh, were all you know, hosted on the fabric, white labeled marketplace. Users uh, essentially played a game to guess along with the show uh, who would be unmasked uh, in a, a weekly series of events. And that, um, process essentially used voting on chain to end permissioning traits that exist in the, the content fabric for content in general. The, the reason I'm kind of bringing this all out is because this became the, you know, a set of experiences that were utilizing this sort of native properties of the content fabric that make it different from web two CDNs and um, media stacks. First of all, uh, Everything in the fabric, all the content has a blockchain identity and an address, and all of its life cycle is basically um, verified, attested to through those contracts um, in the blockchain uh, that's part of the fabric's protocol itself. The other thing that makes the fabric very distinct and we, we utilized heavily to bring out these experiences is the fact that any content can be hosted this way, whether it's the live stream that's being shown um, to, you know, complement the, the collecting experience, the website, the wallet, right, the NFTs themselves. Uh, and then, then the third thing that I think also was very critical to this is that all of the, the content access control is um, natively also on chain through 
through policy. And that policy evaluates things like NFT ownership. So you can create a game where based on having uh, voted right, the NFT that you own from that vote can permission uh, moving on to, to receive the opportunity to purchase other collectible items. Um, so with that as kind of foundation, this trend continued through uh, the spring of this year, and uh, we were uh, brought into even uh, more, uh, I would say, novel types of experiences pushing the boundary of this. In March, uh, we did a live streaming event for uh, a Dolly Parton and a series of artists before at South by Southwest. Yeah. That also included a, a, a set of NFTs that um, included an album release, as well as some collector items and the show Rewatch itself, which was minted into um, a, a, an NFT that backed by a content object, also by our platform, permission to those people that, that own the album NFT. Um, and to kind of like bring this to present and tie sort of together this, this arc you're asking about where this has landed most recently and where I think this gets more interesting even to, to your um, traditional, you know, sort of media company is that now uh, that it, it has become possible to sort of open up any kind of interactive experience to, to, you know, audience ownership. Uh, people are really pushing the boundaries of reusing archives, for example, um, creating surprise kinds of experiences and um, are something we can talk about more. We're involved right now in a, a kind of a first of a kind use of the worldwide wrestling's uh, um, video archive in a, a dynamic web three uh, collectors experience that goes on, um, in tandem with each of the major events, starting with uh, um, the Hell in a Cell and then the Money in the Bank and the next uh, uh, event that the, the property will will uh, offer surprises and, and new experiences from the archive in the NFTs uh, will be um, this upcoming uh, a SummerSlam uh, next Friday and Saturday. So Saturday and Sunday. Um, this is, I think, to your point, Jason, sort of representative of the experimentation that's going on to to really think about media and fan engagement differently. Um, I can say that um, you know you're you're aware, and we've talked for a few years. It has um, really taken the confluence of factors. I think um, the this maturation of Web three wanting to really be able to um, exploit this new type of engagement. It's really phenomenal and has never existed before. Um, and then and then finally, I think also precipitated by the desire to have new ways of monetizing media and also cut costs. And I, that was going to be my last point. It's um, right now, uh, the idea of a Web3 CDN is also um, gaining popularity. And we have a, a lot of uh, people uh, basically coming and driven to us by the fact that the cost saving is so profound just just by design. And I don't think that part would have been true without the economic situation that that has kind of befallen the world. Yeah, no, it was funny. I was at a, a Google Media Leaders Summit uh, in New York a few weeks ago, and they actually had a panel on Web3 and they had the WWE there. So they were talking about the Moonsault project. And, you know, they had folks from Time there talking about their time pieces. And it does, it, it is very interesting that you pointed out sort of that word experimentation. I remember, let's say, 
you know, 10 years ago, maybe not even that long ago, when people were starting to experiment with just interactive experiences yes. in media and entertainment. So like I show a video, what, what can I help people click on? Can they click yes. on something and go to a shopping site? Yes. Um, but I think that, that, you know, a lot of that failed only because I don't think there was a real pent up consumer demand or interest in it yeah. but with yeah. web3 and, and nfts it's it's different yeah it is different and i think you nailed it i mean this the most profound aspect of blockchains is of course data governance or data provenance meaning i own my data and you you, you can of course extend that as the world is to any kind of ownership and that ownership then is is driving all types of you know, aspiration to acquire and also to engage. And to your point, I, I wanted to to kind of push forward on this idea of interactivity. Um, without getting into details, we are involved in a project right now. This is the next major thing that you'll see coming up on our platform that has a essentially interactive experiences that uh, can be owned. Uh, by the by the user along with full length media and uh, i think this is the 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 real boundary point that we've been coming to where this starts to cross over and potentially overtake what has been the mainstream ways of of uh you know consuming media right right and 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 what do you see right now in terms of um in terms of the current state of crypto, so obviously crypto is taking a big hit. Um, you know, there's a lot of linkage in the consumer mind between crypto and blockchain and NFT. Um, do you see any of the media folks that you're working with now kind of, you know, bristling a little bit or are they just like, oh, yeah, ah, I, you know? I, I think there's two really profound points. It's it's always hard to just describe because it's always technical, <laughs> but the mo first and most um driving concern of all content owners, um, whether they're big or small, um, is provenance over their content and the ability yes. to really, also really provide integrity in the tokenized experience. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, in the, with the absence of you know, how we go about things with the content fabric, uh, with a native coupling between the, the content and the and also the token because the the two essentially are effectively joined on chain right without that um, all of these kinds of you know nft permission media experiences are are, are really um, unable to enforce that ownership that exclusivity they're they're two separate systems you got to Web two storage and distribution on the one hand, and a token over here, right? Uh, the encryption and the authorization, um, and the and yep. in in what we think of as rights management, it just just doesn't exist, right? And so I think there you have this kind of wall that um, serious creators, whether big or small, run directly into, which is that. Um, I would really like to exploit all the benefits of this technology, but I can't essentially guarantee to my collectors or, or token owners or subscribers as they might be um, through, uh, you know, tokens that they're going to have exclusivity to the media I'm offering. I also can't essentially guarantee that what they're getting is what 
um, is genuine, for example, right? Meaning where's the integrity check, right? And then the the third problem I think that comes up in the middle of, of this sort of conundrum of, of rights enforcement and, and integrity verification is just the, the monetary value itself, right? Um, and a great example of this is what's going on with with uh, I'll just call it out Royal.io, which is a, a basically a music NFT that guarantees residuals on on basically Web two royalties. Well, how in the world do you couple those two things together? So a token holder has a way to guarantee they're getting the residuals that are that, that are offered. The two are totally separate and and not joined. So I, I think that's your first order problem that um, we see across the board. And then the basics of that are also just plain scams that take advantage of this. And those are abundant, uh, as everyone knows, throughout all kinds of NFT projects. Fakes, for example, uh, you know, on the other side, um, you know, sort of in invalid creators doing rug pulls, stuff like that. So, so to me, problem, you know, sort of prime directive number one is to make this coupling between the, the ownership on chain and the content, its rights, its reuse, its integrity, direct and, and together, right? And I mean, obviously that's what we do, but it is foundational and we do hear that every day. Um, the second thing to your point that I think has really caused people to sit up and take notice is the, um, obviously the volatility in the crypto payments uh, and cryptocurrencies. And I think um, also, I mean, we take a different point of view on this as Olivia, um, our, the value in our platform, the utility is independent of the means of payment, which means that the value of the content is not tied to the value of a cryptocurrency. And um, we think that's also foundational to the, the way that, uh, you know, it's a, a really Future, really scalable, robust uh, uh, sort of you know business realistic approach to media on the blockchain should be. Um, and now that um, crypto values are so poor, this has really come to the for the, the the forefront, and I think it is has it has elevated the idea that you're going to take advantage of blockchain for the contents life cycle, um, but you would want to be able to control the payment types and currencies that it's transacted in, right? Um, so I, I see those as the two, you know, primary dimensions that are of concern to, uh, you know, creators and media owners of all sizes. Um, and we, you know, technologically, everything we do uh, essentially is around uh, allowing those those two problems to be to be solved. Finally, to these experiences I mentioned that are pushing the envelope, where imagine that you have a you know a full length feature film that has worldwide notoriety, or you're making new original content that you've spent a decade on, and you're going to launch it on chain. These these points are very important to you, and um, those are examples of you know sort of specific kinds of projects that, that we're currently involved in. Yeah, no, and it, it, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, what you really said, that sort of that your technology is really decoupled from the method of, uh, you know, of currency. And so I think I think that because there's been a lot of talk, I guess, or chatter about uh, the application of blockchain technologies to 
the media and entertainment space. Um, and obviously there's, you know, you, you guys have seemed to come at it from both directions, right? You came at it from the distribution side. So you've got the content fabric and then you came at it from this sort of NFT side of like, yes. Hey, we can support yes. these really new cool experiences. Yes. Um, where do you see, you know, like, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, a key function of, you know, in what you called content provenance, right? It's my content. I'm the content yes. rights holder. Yes. I want to yes. make sure that this is totally secure. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, what what role really does can blockchain play? Very let's call the sort of the, yes. the security space, right? How yeah. do I, how do I keep my content secure using blockchain, even if I don't want to mess around with NFTs? Yeah. Yeah. No. That that I think is the is exactly the the what would we say it used to the, the, the 25,000. Now you would, you would multiply a dollar question, but um, <laughs> two, uh, two, two basic points, I think uh, about that, Jason. Um, uh, the first, I think most important is the acknowledgement that um, the, the content and its ownership, which can be expressed on a, uh, on a blockchain need to exist together. Um, and, and maybe I'll explain that a little bit more. Um, you said in your introduction there that um, you saw us coming at the problem from two, two different vantage points concurrently, the blockchain vantage point and then the content distribution vantage point and, and storage, right? Um, and that's um, inherently what the content fabric is. It's a two-part protocol that defines, um, you know, by definition, uh, content in a network with the ability to programmatically serve its out its own output um, where um, the, the content's ownership its versioning and its and its authorization is all controlled through blockchain transactions right and so when you look at it that way you basically have a you know a, a programmatic sort of distributed machine that that lets you have um, control over your own content and who's authorized to to read it read from it and under what circumstances and also what what they're reading right the versioning uh, where all of that control is backed by the goodness of the blockchain right and uh, right. that's what sets up the possibility to basically do anything directly with your own content and and under your direct control um, and by your direct control, I mean, think about the basic primitives of blockchains. They disintermediate the um, provenance of data, the you know, transactions, so that uh, two parties can essentially, um, without knowing each other and without going through a trusted entity, can actually have a, a, a valid transaction between one another. And you can, you can do that at scale because of the properties of the, uh, of the chain. And... Um, I think that is when you when you define that in terms of the media life cycle, right? It, if you really do it thoroughly, it means that you can then have all the facets that we think of as the content supply chain uh, effectively happening on chain. Now, one of the hard parts when you get down to this in engineering is to really solve the problem that obviously the media operations themselves have to be real time. Obviously, the data of media doesn't live on chain. 
uh, obviously to do this, you know, at some you know, global scale, right, uh, requires a, a novelty in the architecture for the for the content, the content path itself. Um, but the I think the the key to all of this is that the the initial understanding or idea that you're going to couple together the contents lifecycle with control of that by the owner through the cryptography, right? Um, essentially on chain. That's what the content fabric protocol is. And now that we've gotten, so the world's gotten familiar with NFTs and the contract transactions around NFTs, yep. like minting them and burning them, owning them, um, having them um, point at some asset, right? Usually digital people get this idea now. And I, I will tell you, it's it's been you know game changing for our company. And um, also I think it's opened up the eyes of everyone that, you know, you could use this as a new way to create your organize your your media economy and it's definitely underway yeah no it really seems to be i mean you know again you know having seen wwe and time and i know fox is is backing a lot of this there's there's a lot happening right now in terms of traditional media companies trying to you know again experiment or figure out how do i take advantage of this while still ensuring that one i can deliver my media you know in a in a high quality scalable manner and and two yes. I, I retain i retain complete yeah. you know i retain ownership of it until such time that there is yeah. an exchange between a consumer you know with regards to a token yeah um, maybe we should talk about cost too because i i wanted to say something oh yeah, yeah about that when you so if you start from the beginning of what we were just saying which is that we you know, essentially have a have a, a mechanism that's going to let a content owner um, have a direct transaction with the content consumer, right? Or or consumer yep. plus someone who's going to create derivatives, right? Imagine the whole plethora of possibilities. If we can do that, then the next thing is um, how to get that to an economy of scale. And I would argue that the way you know. CDNs and even media stacks have been done is is far too inefficient and expensive to allow the world to do that in the large. And a good example of that uh, was the congestion explosion that happened during the pandemic. Just look at the network itself, let alone the incidental fees now. And I was this is quite a, a real thing right now that um, you know companies incur from the the vendor stacks. And so. Um, the other side of this, and I think it's just fundamental to get this to everybody, is that the mechanism of content storage and distribution needs to, you know, break the efficiency boundaries that have existed before. And um, one of the, I think, great inventions of the the way the, the content fabric protocol works, um, you know, in, in how it stores and serves media is that it essentially avoids all copies of data, all file copies or, or over the network copies because of the componentized approach. And, and then it puts that together with real time mechanisms that, you know, make it possible to, to get premium quality, low latency serving. So you can really cut, this is very, very tangible. I mean, the, the cost of, of operating content distribution and the resource footprint carbon or real is on the order of 50 times less um, it, than a traditional network. And uh, what that means is then you can bring infrastructure to all creator relationships, 
right? That is inexpensive um, at a price point that people can do it. And that is what we do with our, you know, direct to consumer tooling and platform. And then the second thing is for an existing media enterprise, it's it's really game changing in terms of cost for for what we think of as as content distribution services. That um, po- that point in the for for major media businesses didn't matter very much until recently um, because the last few yeah. years have been had such a premium on everybody's uh, uh, profits, but now it matters a lot. And we're definitely hearing that a lot from more traditional companies. No, I'm glad, and I'm glad you, you brought up cost. I mean, obviously that is a big consideration uh, that, you know, all of the media companies are facing right now. So it's, I'm, I'm glad that you took the time to talk about that a little bit. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, sort of why, where things are going, um, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of the state of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, where where do you see this going further? Is it just on the same trajectory or, you know, so so when I say that, I mean, like more NFTs, more activity, more interactive experiences, or, you know, will things continue to even evolve? Are you seeing any sort of inklings of, you know, oh wow, this is going to change yeah. things. Well, well, yeah, I think there there uh, there's a layered answer to your question. Um, there is an immediate trajectory, and I, and I give you some color to what I think that looks like. And then I think there's a a, a whole nother level, and that that is quite different. So on the the, the immediate trajectory, what I mean by that is the next twelve months. Um, the kinds of things I think that users will start to see is um, adjunct um, ownership opportunities, rental opportunities, and um, what I would call retrading opportunities around um, full-length media and um, exclusive content associated with it, which has not um, and, and as 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 tokenized offers, non fungible or fungible. Okay. Okay. Uh, and um, that kind of thing, of course, has not existed in the Web two streaming world. Right. It's all been passive consumption, right. no ownership, subscriptions that are uh, basically paid to a platform that licenses the content. Uh, what I'm saying is a uh, a break from that in sectors that is direct from the content creator or owner with full length um, and in the mainstream, bigger stuff. Um, okay. that's, uh, that's number one. And uh, that, I think the, uh, the next six months you're going to see also alongside that new programming, you, would, you could call it original, certainly new, that is specifically create specifically curated and released um, on chain. And by that, I mean that um, the curation involves, um, let's say, NFT owners, what you could consider a mini DAO, for example, uh, being able to experience early content, being able to weigh in on it, being part of a community that watches the evolution, and then also has early access rights to the content itself. And again, I think the the break from what we've seen so far is this will not be on the fringes. This will be right in the center of what people consider mainstream media, right? 
Then the third thing I think is also still in the six to 12 months uh, is the, the, of course, the metaverse that everybody's been talking about. But in, yeah. <laughs> in a form, let, let me just say this because I involved, you know, in some projects that are tangible and doing this right in a form that um, has um, interactivity uh, in the experience itself uh, that is associated with um ownership of tokens and that also where the experience itself will be delivered on chain, meaning you might actually own the experience and you might actually personalize it and be able to trade in it that way. I think that sort of, um, you know, interactive micro game metaverse experience is, is, in, is inevitable. It's, uh, there are many, uh, forms of it that, uh, uh, I think will come now. Then you ask me a more interesting question: Is uh, is there something more? And I, I think yeah, there's a whole nother level, which is not the current economy of media that we have. It's a different one, and uh, I think it's like a twenty to forty year sort of change that uh, I think will happen in the next five years. It might be two um, that uh, involves some. Um, literally at scale um, creator to audience models. Um, we see uh, a lot of activity through all forms right now, music, video, interactivity, um, in these kind of interactive worlds, authoring, where the ingredients have come together, the appetites come together and, you know, with the right, um, with the right environment um, software, uh, I think that is um, in, inevitable, uh, and it's a a what you would think of as the Web three version of what has been the creator's economy um, of influence and um, data selling um, and it, giant internet platforms of the present. Right, that's I think the the the, the sort of reorganization of things. And uh, um, I don't think it's that far away, um, but it's a different, it, it, it changes the game for everybody. No, I, I mean, and it's really interesting and it's, you know, I'm always, um, I guess I'm always trying to balance the experience that I would probably say the majority of people are familiar with now, right? The sort of lean back experience, whether or not it's- It can still be lean back. It can still be lean back. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how, you know, sort of the younger generation that is a lot more um, open to experimentation with new media experiences will shape and maybe, and maybe to be honest, that's, that's why you said 20 to 40 years, right? It's, it's a longer view of, it takes time for behavior to change through generations. Um, and so I, I do I was um, always, thinking, yeah, I was thinking about the economics of it. Tank. I think that that changes yeah. over that lifetime. I think that the behavior is already there, quite honestly. I mean, the, 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 the foundational driver is the, the, the natural human instinct of ownership. And, uh, and then once that the tech makes it possible to, to sort of blow that up, right. Um, then you've got a new in, engagement um, model, right. And that's what shifts us from the web two video that we've had to what I think will be that 
that big change. Um, and and there, I mean, it it goes farther than obviously just original creation. It's also uh, users who acquire then being able to create derivatives and then being able to spin that back to others and having those others be able to do the same thing, right? The, the point is that that scale of transfer of ownership um, then all, you know, drives all this. And uh, I think that's much closer than people realize because of the fact that the tooling and the software and the possibilities have come together to make that, right? Um, I think, you know, people probably remember what things were like in the early years of YouTube, for example. And um, while it was kind of comical in the very beginning, it didn't take very many years before it was gigantic. Yeah, no, that's, that's I mean, there, there's definitely something to be said about that. But when we stop to look at the, the forest, um, you know, what we're talking about is, let's say there are, you know, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet, five billion of them, let's just say five are avid content consumers via television, right? So via traditional streaming, um, you know, then we, we, you know, people are always talking about, oh, you know, broadcast television is dead. No, no, it's not. Sorry. I mean, and, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting in the space I'm sitting. No, it's not. Right. Because it takes what I've seen as ge a generation or two to transition, even if the technology is available, right? So oh, the yeah. technology is there. Right. But yeah. I think those, I agree with you hundred percent. I just think those modes, I mean, while the, the, the modes of distribution will continue, it's just the, the economics and the means of it. You could very well have, yeah. and, th and this is what I would say you're, you will see is a new broadcast network that's essentially um, owner published uh, with the channels and perhaps exclusively experienced by those who happen to own this, the subscription or the access and, um, token associated with the channel right yep well and i mean and, and again those, right and a lot more of those and then and then new forms of networks that are essentially aggregations of those and aggregations of of um you know in the case of music uh new forms of labels that are aggregations of what's published right um i think that it's what I was really getting at is the possibility to to really blow that up in a decentralized way. That's what really changes the game, right? Um, as compared to the traditional media um, enterprise, um, what what stays very much the same, I think, is that you know, in the end, the content's the driver, right? Um, yes, that, that's that's what what creates the value, and then um, uh, I think sort of looking even even further into this, it it further, I mean, the classic word is decentralization. It further decentralizes, yep. you know, who can be a source and and who can be an audience and and also extends the, you know, the the value chain, right? Because that that ownership itself could come with rights to create derivatives of streams, of video, right. you know, of um, avatars, metaverse worlds, that's that's what we're talking about. And if it's easy to turn around and republish those and then to create new works and to do it, you know, with a basically a, a supply chain that's paying the, the creator through through on-chain transactions, which is moving very fast, right, in terms of this, this is the kind of thing that we're daily involved in. You know, before it's not it's not very long before you have a, a new direct Kind of media economy, right? And that—that's what I think is really answering your your first, you know, your main question, Jason, of what what really is there something that that really is, you know, game changing about this? And and yeah, I think that's it. 
No, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I was, you know, as you were talking, I was sort of, you know, kind of rolling over in my head this, you know, how YouTube, like you mentioned, sort of how YouTube enabled um, a creator economy that right now operates like a traditional media economy, um, you know, but, but it enabled well, socially all... driven, right? I mean, correct. Basically, correct. you know, uh, in, in influence and advertising are what, 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 what drive the economics and, and exactly as opposed to ownership and, uh, but I was just, you know, I was just thinking of sort of like my childhood. Like I, I could not even imagine, you know, sort of growing up in the late seventies and early eighties of people making their own video content. No way, no way. Like that's really expensive and impossible, you know. And then along comes, you know, sort of the internet, and and then along with that, a ripple effect through the technology sphere that enabled people to start like, Hey, I can get this camera. It's, 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 right now it's, it's really expensive, but I can get this camera and I can make my own video and I can publish it somewhere and get money from that. Yeah. And then, you know, and then that ripple continues. And then you have a whole generation of people that have grown up like my kids going, I could be an influencer. Like I, it's so easy to make my own content. I can put it on YouTube. I can generate ad revenue from it. Um, I remember there's a story, some kid, you know, he's on YouTube. I think he makes like seven or ten million dollars a year unboxing toys. Yeah, but there's a but, but your your comment also illustrates exactly where things are stuck, right? They're stuck. Yes. On, they're stuck yep. on the position that the highest you can aspire to do in this is to be an influencer that's effectively right. drawing eyeballs so that advertisers can pay more, so that yep. platform can basically take from all of the three. And what that does is not only box the economics in the favor of the platform, a la YouTube or all the other YouTube likes, it also forever locks the, you know, the, the, the profitability of the, the whole relationship, right? There's only so far you can take that. Now, move that to a decentralized paradigm. You, who created your content, whether traditional fantastic, huge broadcaster, right? Or new and up and coming creator, you can now not only directly retain, you know, nearly 100% of the, the revenue, either from the advertising yep. you draw or the direct sale. At the very same time, uh, an owner can have derivative making rights where they can create yep. something from it. Or the owner at minimum can have rights to go and retrade in that which they have acquired from you. And that cycle goes on and on and on. So the value creation is unlimited and the value flows to the endpoints as opposed to the platform. That's what's- yeah you, can, yeah, you can really see it. You can really see sort of how decentralization breaks apart that reliance on these, yes. you know, single well, platforms like, like a YouTube or whatever. Well, it's also the yeah. economics. I mean, in the end, yes. those platforms make, you know, social, the, the um, income from social um, related revenue um, on around paid uh, around video and audio, I think it's about a hundred billion a year. And then the income for other sources is another hundred billion. Uh, and then the, the actual valuations, if you go the next step of the companies that do this sort of thing is up in the top ones, like you know, Apple and Google is is uh, the annual revenues around three three four hundred billion, I believe. 
Yep. Yeah, it, it's, I, I mean, it is really interesting to sort of imagine, you know, a time. And, and again, like what you said, you it's it's not necessarily you know the some far far distant future, but it is you know in in time wise kind of right around the corner uh, where you know where this concept of what Alluvio has been building and and enabling media properties and media owners to utilize to create these new experiences will really sort of undermine and upset and and reconstruct the way that revenue is gained and distributed within within the media economy. There, there is one piece you did not ask me about, though, that is foundational and doesn't really depend on us. This is where blockchains are interesting. And that is the, the fact that really they're open protocols and the token economics rely on stakeholders in the system. Um, right. And I, I do want to say this, Jason, because I forgot to mention it, and it's really paramount to what's going on with us right now um, in the underpinnings. Um, we are moving to open our blockchain fully. And part of that is that we have a stakeholder program um, that in, essentially involves providing nodes into the network that ah. uh, act as uh, block validators and, and publishers can be full fabric nodes. Um, and that also allow our partners and, and frankly, media businesses that have tenancies in the fabric to uh, earn into a, um, you know, pro net currently private version of, of our utility token. And we specifically launched that um, in April um, with a community event because um, the mechanisms of the, the fabric and its blockchain are mature enough now to have Know, third parties um, directly involved in um, running nodes and operating, essentially operating the network and and benefiting from a full stack, uh, ex you know, circulation of the token. And uh, um, in this case, a utility token, not a not a payment token. To to right. to, to be clear, right? And yep. um, I think that also, along with what you've said, that opens a different. And we didn't really talk about this, but part of the incentive to, to do this, and, and we've seen quite a good uptake of this, is that you can also earn as a node provider into a, a network which like this, which can offset your content utility costs. And if it's really practical to do so with, um, you know, well-written rigorous software, right, that, you know, runs well, right, then um, that starts to, to take shape and allow for what you would think of as a, a new type of utility service. Um, and that in itself also, um, we get back to this cost side of, of doing media business is also game changing because um, obviously that continues to push the, the economic efficiency of the whole thing, but it also lets a, a, a media company sort of earn um, against their utility fees, right? Uh, by providing nodes. And uh, we have several media companies that are providing nodes that um, also use the fabric. And um, I think that yeah. is at its very infancy in terms of where it's going to grow to as a, as a blockchain network. And if you combine that together with the other piece we were talking about, which is basically new economics for creators, audience, and just media, it's content itself, uh, you end up with a, you know, a, a new system that is, is frankly, sort of uh, has 
unlimited potential to grow its own efficiencies, right? And uh, that that really is the the vision for what we're doing. Um, and also it, to this point of an ecosystem, um, you know, there's only so so much of that that um, Alluvio is, right? We can you know, contribute the technology and make it be, but the network itself grows by its own properties. Uh, and as we fully open it, I think that, that that's something that, I mean, it just has profound potential for reorganizing the, you know, infrastructure for the media economy, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So, um, so we're just about out of time here and a couple of things I want to add, um, you know, one of the things that we're going to work on at the SVA, Michelle, is a paper so about the applications of blockchain to media. media. Um, you know, and hopefully, uh, you know, you'd be willing to contribute to that paper. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So we we do um, we do these things called tech briefs. Um, we actually just put one out, which was quick around quick um, and and media. So the mm -hmm. applications of the quick protocol to media. Uh, but this one, I, w I really have wanted to do a paper for a while on, you know, where are the, the applications of this today? Where are the applications of, you know, decentralization and blockchain tomorrow? And so it kind of give, you know, I think it would give a, a, a pretty broad brushstroke of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, and then one of our other, uh, our board members, Rick Brownrigg, who's at Liberty Global, who's um, also been pushing a lot into into the blockchain, um, he's I think he's getting a, a master's degree in in blockchain and crypto from from a university. So he's very keen on like, oh yeah, that paper would be great. We should write that. So I will um, I will get you involved in that as soon as we kick it off. You know, in the next uh, probably the next couple of weeks. That sounds awesome. I'm so glad you guys are pursuing it. I think the timing is perfect. Yeah, there's just I mean there is again so much experimentation going on right now, and I think. Some media companies are kind of, you know, scratching their heads, like, you know, what can we do? Where do we start? Like, how can we start? Um, and it'd be nice just to, to give them sort of an overview of this is kind of some of the stuff that you can do. This is some some of the stuff that might be possible. This is some of the stuff that's happening right now. Um, yeah, so I think I, I, I really want to do that. I think it's important for the industry to know that there is a you know, there is a transformation happening. And, and, and again, it's like that I always akin it to the trend, the transition we had or the transformation we had from SDI to IP and broadcast, right? So it, it, you know, it took decades and it moved slowly, but it, as it happened, it, it sort of unleashed a tidal wave of opportunity that traditional broadcasters could do with their media content. Now that it was, it was, just via IP. I mean, it's just the basics of, of like cost, right? I don't have to go to a satellite for uplink and downlink anymore. I can just push all my content out via totally. my networks to, to totally. all my subsidiaries. Totally. Um, and I and I think that's what's happening. What seems to be happening with blockchain now is it like this technology is is there and it's baked, just like IP. So blockchain is the distributed ledger and blockchain are baked. People trust it, and now it's like, okay, so if I use this. Like what kind of doors open up to me, um, and and I think a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing at Alluvio is showing the media industry like this is how things can change, um, you know, yeah. from an from an economic and a technology perspective. I totally agree with you. Um, I I think the part that remains to be seen for more traditional companies, right, is they've always been sort of 
taken advantage of by the internet platforms in terms of capturing the value. Now, I mean, based on everything we just said the last hour, I mean, the the value in a system like this is inherently with the content, right? Um, And or in the utility around the content, if you will, right? So um, this is all sort of set up in their favor. Um, But of course, like we just talked about the very end, it, it does require participation. Right. So, yes. So we'll we'll kind of see how how that that all goes. I will tell you, I think it's perfectly timed. There are several, um, as all things, visionary companies that are deeply involved in this and really yep. pushing their. Um, in fact, that's what I was trying to get across is the pace of what we see coming out is it's just unreal. Like we uh, I, you know, it's been 20 years since I've, I've been involved in something moving as fast as this is for the projects we're seeing. Right. But, um, I think that, um, at the same time, um, you know, those are, are really just the first layer, like we were talking about. Right. 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 And, and it's, I mean, to be honest, I'm excited. Like I'm excited to, to, you know, to hear you guys are doing well, um, you know, and that you've got a lot of media companies who are, you know, eager and interested Mm-hmm. to implement this kind of technology and see these kinds of changes. And it's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's really exciting. I, I mean, I'll admit, I like, you know, I've been following crypto for a while, but I'd never set up a wallet. I'd never set up anything. And when I went to the Google media leadership thing, I was like, okay, I should just do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and mind you, Coinbase made it super simple, stupid, easy to do versus what it was like. Um, I don't know if you've ever read, there's a story in, in, about uh, an MIT I think it might have been when crypto first came out there was a um a student who got a, a little bit of funding and he said like hey i'll give anybody like 10 bitcoins if you let me if you let me set up a wallet and show you how to set up a wallet mm-hmm. and you know the the story i think it was in wired it was really about sort of the process this person went through and then how many people actually still had the bitcoins at the end of it and a lot of them have like, oh, I spent it on like tacos, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, t- I totally understand. Um, one thing I didn't mention in this, um, uh, in all of our questions, was um, one of the the ways that um, our technology grew across these these experiences we had, and the reason we we actually were selected for future things is because we have a slick custodial wallet that um, ah. is very easy to use and, and you know, minting happens on demand and it's, it's very fast and reliable. And um, in this world, just um, that usability alone has uh, driven a lot of adoption, right? Yep. And, and then it makes a lot of sense. And I know that the same thing, the guy from Time at the Google event kind of said the same thing. It's that the um, the frictionless experience now with setting up a wallet has enabled a lot of people to experience, you know, the, the possibility of purchasing and owning NFTs, um, where before, you know, let's just say like seven, eight, 10 years ago, it was really like, <laughs> do I need an engineering degree to set this no, thing it's, up? And it's still the case in many areas. I mean, um, for instance, um, at the the event I mentioned at South by Southwest, that had several thousand people. And one of the things that we were told after that is that um, our wallet experience was um, so easy compared to other things people had experienced oh, throughout the rest of South by. And in, I mean, that's a necessity for, for mainstream entertainment, as you know, right. But it was interesting to compare it. This was just March of this year to many of the other experiences. I mean, the, the, the wallet combined with the minting combined with the payment was just a mess for many of those. Yep. Right? And, uh, and so, 
anyway, I, I think that's just, um, you know, taking advantage of these technology properties I was talking about, right, um, in good software to, to, to really um, solve those problems. But, but what it brings to light is you really do need to have an experience that's fast, that's low cost, and that you can manifest into, you know, the kind of form factor of user experience people are used to, right? Without that technology, people don't like it, they won't do it, and it just kind of falls away, right? And if you don't make it easy, people don't adopt it. Look at the early VR with the headsets that were, you had to put up, you know, sensors in your house and it was all wired to your computer and it was a prosumer tool. Yeah. And then along comes Oculus, it's that's decoupled. Right. It's and, and all of a sudden people are like, I'll, I'll use that. Like that's yeah. super easy. It's super um, easy, right? And one of the things that's under the hood that people don't realize with most things, um, particularly media-based um, NFT kind of stuff is that um, the the major friction points that lead people to kind of stop in those workflows is is the fact that they can't mint fast enough or low cost enough. Right. You end up having to jack up the prices and people have to sit there and try and try again, which exempts all the kinds of mainstream experiences we're talking about, right? And um, exactly. if you're going to, for instance, sell a feature film where people are used to being able to, you know, rent that for $5 or, or buy it for 18, right? Um, you have to have a tokenization method behind that that um, doesn't, uh, you know, add $50 to the cost or make the user sit there and wait 15 minutes, right? Um, yep. And so I, you know, that's kind of implicit in the things I was getting at earlier, but, but that's something that, you know, a, a efficient, scalable and uh, sort of a, uh, gasless kind of technology or, or, or effectively gas-free kind of uh, technology can, can make a big difference on. Yep, absolutely. Well, Michelle, this has been fantastic. Um, it's great to hear, you know, again, sort of where Alluvio is at right now and all of the cool and interesting things you're doing with lots of, uh, you know, very well-known media companies. So I personally am very excited about, uh, you know, about how this is going to change the media space. And um, it's just, it's great to hear from you. And, you know, I hope that we can continue having a conversation, you know, once in a while to uh, to just catch up with Absolutely. how going. And I'll just, just say for, for last, anyone who's interested in learning more about us, we're going to have a global community meeting in Amsterdam in conjunction with IBC Saturday, September yep. 10th. So uh, look for us there. I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> oh, very cool. All right, Michelle, we'll take care and uh, I'll let you know when this is up online. And then, uh, you know, again, let's uh, let's just keep chugging forward. Thank you.